0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Diana Clark, and this is Tanya Weiser. And we're on week five of this class on the hindrances. And last week we talked about sloth and torpor. That is, this um, heaviness, this... um, had a a dullness a feeling of like oh my goodness everything is just so much effort kind of having this tiredness and then we um, encourage people to go home and practice with meditation and experiment and play with this um, how much energy one applies to meditation sometimes it could be helpful to apply more energy and then to maybe experiment like what's the least amount of energy we have to apply sometimes sloth and torpor is um, two things can happen one we're up straining and applying a lot of energy and it's just not sustainable and then we end up feeling tired or, or uh, drained or because we don't have a lot of energy we think we can't be mindful but uh, so the invitation is to experiment and to see how little energy does it require to be mindful I don't know, is there anything you'd like to add,
1: Tanya? Um, I just think that it was nice to talk about it in contrast with um, restlessness and worry. So, one one hindrance is too much energy, and the other is too little, right? So, sloth and torpor um, are about not having enough energy, and the, the sloth is like slothful, like the animal that moves really slow, because the body can. Im- be the one that is manifesting the low energy and the torpor is more reflecting sort of the mind that feels very dull and difficult to to kind of focus or see and it can be kind of dreamlike um, as opposed to restlessness and worry. So restlessness in the body, too much energy, can't sit still and worry the mind that just can't stop. It's just constantly worrying and going around and around. So these alternate energy states, right, and um, like Diana was mentioning, um, it's, we can easily kind of swing from one to the other um, if especially if we find ourselves excessively worried or um, you know spending too much energy, we can easily crash and, and move into sloth and torpor and then sometimes by trying to increase our energy with sloth and torpor, we might do too much and uh, end up back in the restlessness and worry so it's a it's balancing, finding the right balance. Yeah, it's quite something that uh, I have this experience
0: of sometimes during meditating and I'm like feeling tired and the last thing I want to be doing is sitting there and, oh my goodness, when is the t- uh, you know the bell going to ring or whatever it is that's going to indicate the end of the meditation period and just being with these sensations and the bell rings and, oh, okay, now I have energy. <laughs> so that's going to be something to notice too is, like, is this something that's just unique to what's meditation or is this something that happens in our daily life that there's kind of a collapsing of energy or maybe a lot of energy so that's what happened in the two preceding weeks two preceding weeks before that I'll just say briefly In on week one we introduced what our hindrances in a particular practice which we'll be doing and week two we talked about doubt which um is a hesitation, not quite sure what to do, um, feeling uncertain. Um, yeah, uncertain I think is a good word. And then the one way to work with that is to investigate to what's actually happening, to get engaged. So with that as a background of where we've been for the preceding weeks... Maybe I'll jump
1: into. Unless, is there anything else you'd like to say, Tonya, or do you guys have any questions or comments? Yeah, maybe. Anything you want to share about your practice? Yeah. Oh, great.
0: You have to push the. Yeah, there we go.
2: So it was really helpful to consider the aspect of striving because I found that. The moment we started talking about it last week, I was in our group. I thought, oh my goodness, (laughs) I'm a striper. (laughs) And I didn't even realize it. And so this week, I really spent a lot of time just putting the brake on, just like, you know, putting way too much energy into things, you know, as if my life depended on things happening, you know, Mm. really insignificant things. And it was amazing to me how much more energy I had when I. I was not you know using striving and how I didn't run out of energy, and it was just it was really really helpful and um but in my medi- in my meditation, I didn't really find it so much in my meditation because when I meditate you know one of the things I think about is i I just try to relax as completely as I can into each moment. So it's interesting that it wasn't I didn't find it in my meditation but it was in the rest of my life that I was striving Mm -hmm. which left more energy for meditation so anyway
0: Nice It's so great because when we learn these things about ourselves then we can decide or choose to do something different Maybe it's a habit and it's not so easy to do something different but uh, learning these aspects about ourselves is always helpful It's great And what is your name? Jillian. Jillian. Thank you, Jillian. Does anybody else have a comment or a question? So then I'll move into uh, the topic for tonight. And that is this idea of sensual desire, or desire this. Leaning forward, wanting something kind of this real strong wanting, of course, not all desire is bad desire we it's desire is part of what motivates us and can take the form of inspiration or aspiration or motivation, so uh, we're not talking about all um, desires in our life we need we need desire, in particular. Desire only becomes a hindrance when it gets in the way, when it's hindering something we want to do. Some obvious examples are when we want to um, get settled in meditation. We want to have some more um, collectedness in our meditation. And instead we find that the mind's always reaching out, kind of wanting something. There's this kind of uh, grasping or looking for a uh, clinging kind of experience. Or maybe um, our desire gets in the way of even getting to the cushion. Maybe we don't even sit down to meditate because, like, oh well, I, there's this wish, this desire to be doing something, you know, other anything except sitting down when meditating. And also, desire can be a hindrance when it really um, obscures what, uh, what's really happening, when it prevents us from seeing clearly the present moment when we have these uh, lenses on of everything turns into do I want this, I don't want that oh I want this and there's this um, it can be this vague feeling that sometimes so that those people that are <laughs> designing some of the things on the internet or maybe even our devices that they're experts at kind of uh, eliciting in us this sense of like oh there's something interesting just around the corner kind of like click you know I just as soon as I click this You might notice that if you spend a lot of time surfing the internet or something like this, then you start to feel like, oh, I want to eat, or, oh, I want to go buy something, or there's this kind of just uh, triggers this sense of, I need something more, needs to be something more. So as I said, desire itself isn't a problem, I mean, right? We have the desire to eat when we're hungry, or we have the desire to care for and protect loved ones, care for and protect ourselves. Part of Buddhist practice and meditation practice is about distinguishing between skillful desire and unskillful desire. So it's we're not. It's not about getting rid of all the wanting we have, but noticing this wanting, this wishing, this grasping. Is does it uh, support greater freedom, greater ease, greater well-being, and when does it not? So it's about developing a type of discernment, a type of wisdom, that. Um, Requires that we get to know what does desire feel like and what do we do when we are in the grips of it and are there different kinds of desire and is, is it a spectrum and what does it feel like to be at one end of the spectrum versus the other end where we have this really strong maybe obsession or um, addiction even to just a quiet inkling like yeah, it might be nice to have that but just have that idea arise and then pass away so part of learning about um, the desire as a hindrance is also to de- learn about when it's not a hindrance. And when it is a hindrance, to notice what are the different forms that it takes, and what are the different strengths or um, powers, or is that, that's, maybe that's not the right word. They all just use this word, strengths. And then even when there is skillful desire, that is a desire that supports greater well-being and peace, ease, and freedom. That Maybe the wish to have greater freedom. The wish to have greater peace, that's skillful. But maybe the way we relate to that wish is unskillful. That is that we um, are straining or we um, tend to Discount everything in that doesn't <coughs> support these, uh, the desire for greater freedom. That is, if we, we may have the wish for greater freedom, may be wholesome, and a way to have um, this greater. F- we may have this mistaken notion that to constrict, to grab on, to cling to, is the way to greater freedom but of course it isn't, right? Greater freedom comes with a a lessening, a letting go. So in this way, the desire itself may be skillful, but the way in which we are trying to implement it or support it is not skillful. So it's our task to get to know um, desire to learn the role that it plays in our meditation practice, the role that it plays in our life, how does it feel, how can we work with it, when is it supportive, when is it not supportive. And one way is to... um, Sorry, my... One way that we can, in addition to work with it in meditation, which Tanya is going to lead us in a guided meditation with this in just a minute, but also in our greater life, in our everyday life, we can purify, cleanse, diminish the amount of problematic desire we have in our life by recognizing when are we trying to control the uncontrollable? That often that type of desire is want something to be a particular way i want to have a particular experience i want this person to behave that particular way and it gets to be a problem when we are trying to control things that we can't control and we just get stuck trying 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 so that's one way kind of in our daily life another way to kind of diminish the power of craving or desire is to practice generosity We can do this so many ways. We can be generous with our time, with our thoughts, with our money, with whatever resources we have. It's kind of the, you know, to give things away instead of having the sense that you have to acquire and get things. Third way is to develop gratitude, have appreciation for what you already have. There's so many things that we can be grateful for. Can be a transformative practice in itself. Is to kind of just um, to reflect on what we can be grateful for, and then maybe the last thing that I'll say, kind of in the big picture, that we can do to kind of diminish the unhealthy effect or um, unhealthy power that desire, or craving, maybe even addiction, compulsiveness can have in our life, is to simplify our lives simplify in whatever way makes sense away from the sense of uh, we need to acquire things the sense of i need more 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 is there a way that we can simplify our lives and say actually i don't need this new little gizmo the gizmo that i have is actually pretty adequate maybe it's not perfect but it's good enough so these are some of the things that we can do just in our lives to kind of work with desire and then Janya is going to lead us specifically a meditation
1: practice to work with it. Shall we meditate? Yeah? Alright. So, yeah, take a moment to get yourself you know, into a comfortable meditation posture and You're welcome to go get more cushions, sit on the floor, or do whatever it is that would support you. Um, One of the best things that people who've been meditating for a long time do is take their time to get seated, to get into a posture, and to get their bodies ready for meditation. So taking a moment to fill your feet and your bottom, supported here and maybe before you even close your eyes just sort of take a look around the room and see where you are acknowledge you know it's Wednesday night you're at IMC okay you know just to let the the inner intelligence the nervous system that can be scanning for risk or danger let it say okay these people are okay we're all here to meditate together right and the space is okay you know and, um, and then when you feel ready you might just sort of bring your awareness start to feel the breathing even with your eyes closed and just sort of letting more and more of the experience of breath come and my, I find that as that happens my eyes naturally want to close and you know you don't need to close your eyes too it's okay to sort of gaze them softly sort of on the floor a little bit in front of you but it just sort of gently sort of like a snow globe, letting all the energy and awareness settle and come into the body. And feeling the breath as a anchor, if that works for you. It's moving, it's coming and going, it has a rhythm. It's easier for our minds to pay attention to something that is shifting and changing than to try and pay attention to something that is more still. We'll just take a few moments here to establish a connection with the breath, mindfulness of breathing, noticing where you feel the breath the most, where it's the most accessible It might be in your belly or nose. Maybe even notice how it feels to you tonight in this body, in this place to experience an inhale and how an exhale feels different tonight, here. body just knows how to breathe on its own just receiving each inhale and exhale and if your mind is busy and having a hard time settling you might try something like counting your breaths just sort of with a really gentle one with each exhale counting two with the next exhale, just in a very soft, kind, gentle voice in your mind. You could count up to 10 and then start over again. If you get confused or lost, you just let go and start with one. And now I'm going to guide us through a practice called Bella. And to do so, we're working with desire tonight. And so I want to invite you to sort of reflect for a moment about the things that maybe you desire in a way that doesn't end up feeling so helpful. It feels like it maybe gets you caught or hinders you in some way, and so it might be French fries or two cookies instead of one, or shoes, more shoes, or more that internet thing, the next link just choose something that feels relatively easy to work with not your hardest desire something that you feel like you can sit with and there's nothing no right perfect desire so it could be preferring bright green green beans to brownish ones any Any little pattern of desire is okay. So bringing this to mind, sort of allowing your mind to sort of just take in the experience of this wanting, this desiring or this preferencing. Perhaps bringing to mind a recent experience Maybe it's just enough thinking here about whatever has come up for you. And as you do, the first part of Bella is to be with this experience, to be in the presence of this desire, this feeling. And the way we wanna do this is um, to first just recognize and find and feel how it's affecting your body. What is the experience? What is the felt sense of desire? What is the energy in the body? And really taking your time to sort of be with present and aware and maybe take a just a full scan through your whole body and just notice sometimes our toes curl in or our hands our shoulders tighten up in ways that we haven't really noticed when we are feeling desire. We might even notice a movement in our body leaning toward. So just take a quick moment to scan through your whole body. Being with. And from here we move to the E and Bella of examining sort of how did how did this desire come to be noticing in what ways it might feel uncomfortable, tense, tight. And seeing if you can identify the kind of energy or movement to try and control, Diana mentioned, right? Trying to make things go the way we want them to be. Or the energy of reaching and just sort of see if you can feel a connection. And then take a careful look at the object of your desire. What is it that you're wanting? If you could change the lenses, you know, or see it from a different perspective, how is it you're looking at this object in a way that maybe isn't so clear, so true? Is it everything you really think it is? Would it be everything to have this desire? How would you feel if you actually got it? And then after you had it, is there maybe a feeling of still wanting or disappointment? Sometimes under desire, it it actually is generated because of a sense of discontent or dis-ease. It's a way of trying to make ourselves feel better. Sometimes it just comes out of the mind that is always able to see that something could be just a little bit different, a little bit better. We're kind of trying to feel into this thing that allows it or supported it or supports it in arising. And from examining we move to the energy of lessening. So really here sort of maybe noticing first, you know, how can I relax with if there's tension in my body? Right? How can I let go of some of the energy or effort of wanting to control or wanting to get this thing? How can I lessen? Maybe instead of focusing on the object of desire, you shift to noticing the discomfort or the relentlessness Perhaps you apply a little bit more energy, a little more effort or a little less effort. And from listening, we move to letting go Is it okay to let go of the object of desire right now, to turn your awareness to something else, back to the breathing perhaps, or to the feelings that underline, underlie or feed the desire, the feeling of sadness or loneliness or imperfection? Another really helpful thing for me is to practice contentment. If there's desire for something, what if what if what I already have had or what I have is good enough? What if I tell myself it's good enough? You might give some consideration to things in your life that trigger this desire. You might think about ways that you might reduce your tr- getting triggered, wanting to get pulled into this desire. How do you protect your mind or you know, your sense doors your, from getting caught in this desire? another option is to actually take a moment to reflect on a sense of well-being a feeling of having enough contentment or just feeling gratitude or appreciation shifting your awareness in that direction in a skillful way And as you do these things, notice what supports your being here, right here, with whatever's really true for you. Not wanting it to be different. And the A of Bella is to kind of reflect and acknowledge how the desire, the energy of wanting, pleasure, how it lessened during the meditation. Were there things that you did that helped that energy in your body and mind lessen? Or disappear at all? Perhaps there's no desire present at this moment and noticing what that feels like. Acknowledging any sense of greater freedom or ease. And maybe even calling on past experiences. So in the meditation we practiced with Bella, which was to be with, sense desire, to examine it, how it feels and what sort of gave, gave it ground, what helped it arise, the examining and then the lessening and the letting go and then the appreciating, the absence or the freedom from, from the desire. B E L L A
0: Thank you, Tanya. Mm. Yeah, so Tanya led us through a guided meditation in which we can explore the experience of desire as well as different ways to work with it and to be with it, so to speak. So now I'd like to ask some questions. What uh, did you discover or did you learn or did you find out or explore? What effect does desire, desiring, have on your body, and on your mind? Were you able to notice, well, what is that experience of desiring? What is that like?
1: Were you able to think about anything that brought up craving or desiring for you? I thought about French
0: fries because (laughs) you mentioned it, and I had French fries not too long ago, and I thought about that.
2: (laughs) Great. Um, Well, the the effect of it was like this real this um, kind of a tingling sensation. So it was more, it was like an energizing thing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't comfortable. Uh-huh. But it was definitely energizing, mm-hmm. surprisingly so. Mm-hmm. Remember how Gil always says, "I oh, don't always say," but he says that desire is the caffeine of something. And I thought I I totally see what he means.
1: Yeah. It's motivating, right? It wants us to move and go get. Yeah. And part of the reason why I think uh,
0: Gil used that expression like like caffeine is because there can be a little bit of withdrawal. We may have our whole lives maybe oriented about Mm -hmm. acquiring, 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 acquiring status, acquiring objects, acquiring pleasurable sensations, getting, getting, getting. And then when that starts to diminish, then we may feel like, oh... I don't know, there can be a sense of loss or what what's happening? Anybody else what is it what was that experience like?
1: I'll bring in the mic. Okay.
3: okay. Well you saw about French fries. I saw about teas. Uh, so it, it came to my mind all the time. So I cannot give up of that. So that's what I've been thinking. like uh, How to... how is. So every time that I go to the cafeteria, I saw it and I want to get it. So that's what I've been thinking. Uh, it's not something uncomfortable, but I know that it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I should work on that. And what is that t- feeling like? Oh,
0: it's there, but I shouldn't have it. I want it, it's but there. I, I
3: want it. I take it.
1: I, it's there. <laughs> I want it. I take it. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> That's a caffeine. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. and it could be the same as caffeine. I say. I mean. Oh, I need coffee just to start my day, and sometimes it's, n- it's not the best option. Yeah. So. And I, and I realized that for example, couple today it was like that so I went to the cafeteria I saw the cheese Say, said mm, that's not good for me but mm-hmm. even if I, I know that I, I took it uh-huh, uh-huh. it
1: yeah, it's a very powerful thing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and so you, in your meditation you th- you thought about um, that's your pattern is to see it want it mm-hmm. and take it yep. yeah and did you, were you able to connect with any sense of, like, is there another way for you? Is there another option? Is there anything that would be helpful? If you don't want to
3: take it when you see it, is there anything that might be helpful for you? I'm, I don't I'm not sure. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I think I need to find out why I'm, I i do not know, I don't know, I, I need to think about that.
1: Why do you want? Why do you want the cheese?
3: Yeah, for a, let's say cheese. Uh-huh. So, but could could be something else, like whatever I want, I just take it or do it or I don't know, buy it or whatever it is, and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's like about that desire or want something, and don't think about anything, just get it. Uh-huh.
0: I think you said a key thing right there. You don't think about anything, mm-hmm. you just get it. So somehow our kind of like our experience tends to get small and it's all about oh I just want this thing and we are kind of like ignoring all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Ignoring other thoughts, another ignoring other experiences. So there's a sense of contraction and our um our experience gets kind of uh, pointed and small right then, but if our life is filled with desire, it kind of gets contracted. Our whole world gets contracted. Like, how can I get this? How can I get this? How can I get this? So, I don't know. Just something to notice that feeling of um, this small, this getting smaller, contracted, or focused, and I don't think about anything else. I'm just going to get this. Yeah. Yeah and we can just like feel that what does that feel like and we'll the body and the mind most likely will start to feel like oh this is uncomfortable actually Mm -hmm. often we don't want to pay attention to that because there is um, when we get something there is a tiny there is a short nice feeling right Yeah, yeah yeah We should pay attention to how long that satisfaction lasts. Yeah.
2: I think I'm most susceptible to desire when I feel hurt Mm -hmm. because I'm already in pain and I want it to go away. So of the, the two desire is so much more pleasurable so any advice for that?
0: I think it's fantastic that you noticed that we often are using desire as a way to distract ourselves and to um, feel better but there's a, um, something to notice about there's a difference between desire and pleasure maybe I'll talk about this a little bit so we often have desire for pleasure but this um, this idea that things that bring pleasure are going to be a source of lasting happiness, just something for us to examine and explore. Just as I hinted at earlier, right? there is a certain amount of satisfaction when we do acquire something or we have a pleasurable experience. It's definitely there. There's a little hit of something. And maybe that hit is the diminishment of the uncomfortableness of desire or the uncomfortableness of feeling hurt. But it's worthwhile to just reflect and to experience,
3: how, how long
0: does that last? Evolution has um, provided the, uh, I don't know how to say this, um, we've evolved so that we have desire for more food, more sex, more whatever it is, some pleasurable experience, and we've evolved for uh, that to last a short while only, because if it's you ate once and then you were satisfied, you wouldn't eat again, right? So it's kind of it's uh, inner, it's hardwired in our biology. So it's not a trivial thing, but we should just notice. Do we think that just pleasure? It's going to equal happiness. It's worthwhile examining.
2: Yeah, yeah. But at that point you don't you're not looking for everlasting happiness. You're just looking for for the, the pain to go away. Mm-hmm. So then it's maybe uh worthwhile to
0: look at what do we think is pleasurable? Is it really pleasurable maybe the I'm making this up maybe the first bite of the cookie the second bite of the cookie but then after that if you're really uh, um, present for the experience you'll start to notice I'm just now eating this cookie because I started eating it and maybe it's not it's more just to distract myself and to push other experiences away it's actually not as pleasurable as we are thinking or hoping or imagining Maybe the first bite is. Maybe the second or the third. Maybe the first cookie is. But the second or the third is. Often what we find ourselves doing is something is pleasurable and satisfying fleetingly or a small amount, but then we just
1: keep on going down that route. Can I say something? Of course. Um, a couple of things um, to kind of think about. One is what happens to the hurt Right, So we move to make ourselves feel better but it's important to look at whatever action we took that to make ourselves feel better does the hurt get addressed in a way that, that actually feels like salve or healing helpful right? because sometimes the actions that we take actually can feed the hurt they make it worse and sometimes they actually help so this is a really important thing Kristen Neff um I really like uh, a definition she offers between the difference between self compassion and self indulgence. So often, when we're trying to make ourselves feel better, we make a choice that ends up being indulgent. And the way we know it's indulgent versus compassionate is we do something despite it being harmful to ourselves. So it's too many calories for ourselves, too much sugar for ourselves. Too much money to spend for what we really budgeted for. um, Neglecting other things that then are going to create backlash for us at work, not doing things. You know, there's there's a negative thing in some way where we're getting harmed. Right? So that's a really good question is if what I'm doing here is there going to be a more negative pain, you know, from what I'm doing. And self-compassion would be, you know, Sort of acknowledging, part of, part of self-compassion is acknowledging the hurt. So not just covering, not just trying to make ourselves feel better, but to literally kind of, oh, yeah, I'm hurting. This, is, this was hard. And to care, right? To give a moment of care. Um, and also it's helpful to sort of, oh, yeah, and I'm not alone, people have this kind of feeling this loneliness or this hurt or other people feel this too it could be worse you know um, could be better and and it can be helpful to say was there anything that I did here that sort of contributed to my hurt and what would help me what would really help this hurt feel better you know so um, is that helpful yeah oh good Okay. That's a great reminder. Is there anything yeah, the mic. I'm pointing to. That's okay. Yeah. So you said that you've read her book and and that it was a good reminder to think about this. Yeah.
0: And the title of her book is self compassion,
1: right? Yes, her book is called self compassion, and she's got a website selfcompassion.org dot um, org, and she has this definition of the difference between self compassion and self indulgence, as well as self esteem on it, and. Other stuff that's um, really useful. Yeah. So, Tanya, did you want to say anything else, Diana? We're fine. No, no, no. you want to.
0: Okay. Did you want
1: to? Um. how? Just let's just say know everybody sort yeah. of, you know, just checking. in any, anybody have confusion or any other questions before we kind of move into? another phase of what we're going to
4: do together no Uh, well I I don't have so much confusion about what you guys are discussing I have confusion about what's inside Mm. and so I'm thinking about kind of the progression of my desires and kind of the end point Um, and so you know I start to think that it would be nice to uh, get my desires uh, because then you know it would lead to know let, let's say if i could get a lot of money then i could do the things that i want and also you know it would relieve me from a lot of worry or anxiety or whatever i try to think you know what is my end goal and then i get confused because i start to think well my end goal is probably something like feeling peace
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. which
4: would be really nice and then as soon as that comes in i start to think uh well, that sounds really boring. I would like something exciting. I want excitement. And then the excitement sounds kind of anxiety-provoking and stressful, and I'd have to be going around. I'd go in into this loop, and it's like, I don't even know really what I'm mm-hmm. searching for. I know I'm yearning for something, but I can't even decide on that.
1: What you're describing is sort of perfect, because it, some people describe this, and like they go after it, and they get it, and then they feel that, uh you know and, and, and you know, and then it's the next thing and the next thing and you're seeing it happen just even in your mind you know that you just can see that there's not gonna it's not satisfying right it's not contentment is doesn't isn't this lasting thing that you would get if you got this thing so what is it that we're really seeking right yeah yeah but it's a beautiful description of what desire keeps us doing there's a sutta that talks about I don't this the suit i have issues with it in a way because i don't like the visual but it's like the idea of a bone that has some blood on some a little bit of meat on it or something that a dog gets right and it's it's enough to have a taste but there's nothing satisfying about it but the dog just keeps gnawing and gnawing and gnawing at the bone right and it's sort of like that's often what's really happening we keep kind of grabbing something and there's a little bit there Little bit that is sort of oh, the taste of it, but then it's just this relentlessness of like, you know the next treat, the next thing, the next best. well, if I'm good at this, then I have to be better at that, and it, it just sort of a, a thankless process, and not we don't find ease, and that's I think the the, the issue with um, desires that can keep us constantly in motion constantly seeking and wanting and not sitting, not being, not just opening to the peace of this moment.
4: So, so how does observing that or being aware of that help? It, it seems it's to me like question. it causes a lot more distress. It would be nicer if I could just remove that.
1: It's a great question. I've been talking, about I hear. Uh, no, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, well, I'll speak personally. Okay so I'll just say I think what happens for me is that I'm shifting my awareness from the object to the experience of wanting. And as I notice the experience of wanting, desiring, craving, it's very uncomfortable. And and that in itself is a teacher that noticing how uncomfortable it is to be relentlessly wanting becomes a motivator for me to let go to to find contentment to stop the incessant kind of maneuvers in the mind or behaviors in the in the world to try and seek pleasure and and then the beautiful thing that happens is Oh, ah. you know, I'm more available to appreciate what I have in front of me. I'm more available to see the incompleteness as beautiful or the imperfection as perfect enough. And that's peaceful. That is a different, a whole different experience. So does that answer your question?
4: Um, it does for the most Thank part you. it does, except there's one part it, it in your answer it supposes that uh l- letting go is like a choice you can make um and i or you know it's like I have the ability to exercise that, I'm just not doing it hmm but yeah. to me, it feels like that's like
1: mm-hmm. s-
4: speaking in a language I don't know
3: hmm
1: yeah so um you know, I think that for me sometimes you know it letting go doesn't happen sometimes there's things that you just keep craving over and over again mm-hmm. but but there are sometimes there are some things that you just get so sick of the wanting you get so sick of it that that becomes stronger than what you want so that's when the letting go happens there's a natural letting go there's a natural wisdom that cultivates and develops that is like i don't uh uh-uh. uh no, <laughs> I don't want to go there again, no, <laughs> you know, there's, the, the, you know, and sometimes that takes years or a lifetime or, you know, and sometimes it doesn't take very long because it's just, maybe we're not as deeply attached or there's not as much identity in whatever it is that we're wanting, you know, and so it's not as, it's not as persistent, but but that starting to see that in even small ways, that how it, it just has a natural effect. If we notice the discomfort, that in itself starts to condition the system. If we're aware, we're mindful, we're being with it, we're clear about what's going on, you know, and we really think through and know the consequences, the harm that comes to ourselves, you know, if we proceed then it, it, there's just a wisdom that starts to develop.
4: I'll look forward to it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of want to acknowledge that this is a very common experience. To We start to watch ourselves do that thing or have that experience. That's exactly what we don't want. And we're just watching ourselves that we can't not do it. Mm-hmm. That's the definite stage in the process. It's uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable it's also the way to greater freedom. So you're going the right direction if you're going through that, but it's, it's not necessarily a pleasant or easy experience to watch yourself do exactly what you don't want to do anymore or what you know isn't helpful. But to just watch it as best as you can as opposed to get completely lost in it where there's no, uh, no opportunity to do anything different. And when you're completely lost in it so it starts with this observing and as Tanya said observing the uncomfortableness of it but also in the act of observing we're separating ourselves we're disidentifying with it and in that little gap is where the freedom is where the freedom can be
1: So what do you think tonya what about what we should do next? I know right, so I was thinking maybe um if Richard would be willing, i don't know if he'd be willing, we could do dyads actually, or two people we could have you just two people get together and and um we can do a repetitive question or something like that um, okay um. So, I think a small group wouldn't really happen. We'd have one of two and <laughs> one of three, so to me, Richard, are you willing to pair up with somebody and um what do you think of that idea, Diana?
0: I didn't know if we wanted to do if Richard was going to participate in
1: two groups of two or groups of three, so would you like to have yeah. either either way three we could if three's simpler, then I guess i you know we could do two two groups of three, okay, yeah, okay. And so, um, you know, do we? You can sit with somebody you don't know or know. It's up to you. You know, Um, just do what you feel is best for you. Um, I know you two came together, right? So, um, so just um, two groups of three, and then we'll give the next instructions.
0: Yeah. So you can just form some small groups, and then we'll thank you, Richie.
1: Yeah, Yeah. two groups of three.
0: we'll record the question okay Um, it's recording recording right now then we'll hit the pause button when you when you guys are talking okay so we're just going to do um this is an opportunity for you to explore something on your own and rather than to just to be hearing us talking all the time for you to engage with this so we're in groups of three and one person will speak at a time and we're just going to provide an opportunity for you to explore a topic and maybe find the edge of your awareness, the edge of your understanding. So it's, um, you don't have to tell a big, long story, complicated story. It's just an opportunity for you to explore something. And the other two people are, with, are witnessing, listening, being there with you while you're exploring this topic. If it, when you're the speaker if you'd like to close your eyes you're welcome to do that if it's a way to um, help you connect with uh, your experience so we'll have um, one person speak for two minutes and then I'll ring the bell and then the next person for two minutes and then I'll ring the bell so here's the first topic how much do you orient your energy your attention your attention just your activities. How much is a, your life oriented around wanting? Or this sense desire or this or just this general feeling of wanting. Something for you to explore. And the person that's sitting closest to that back wall can go first and you'll go um, clockwise. So please begin. Maybe we'll take a moment of silence and could feel in how was that to be both the speaker and the listener. And maybe you didn't get to finish what you wanted to say, and just kind of check in with that. And now we'll do a second question, and that is, and we'll do this in the same way. What might happen? What might happen if you shifted a portion of your energy 50 percent 25 percent of this energy that you give to desire what would happen if you instead cultivated wholesome mental states what if you converted some of that energy going towards wanting towards cultivating mental states what do you imagine what might happen And the person sitting closest to this wall, to Tanya, me and Tanya, um, can begin and then we'll go clockwise again. So please begin. Okay. So thank you for that. You can thank your partners. And then Why don't we come back to the larger group and then we'll kind of share how that was or talk about uh, some kind of build on what we just did there.
1: How was it for you guys um, to listen to each other and to share? Was it good? Do you mind using the microphone? Just push the button and the green light will come on. And the other,
3: yeah, there you go. Push and hold. I mean, just, just good because sometimes it's good to uh, listen another kind another point of view. Yeah. And maybe you didn't realize that could be... Like that, because sometimes we are like ourselves, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are like selfish. We don't uh, uh, pay attention to others. So it's just simple. Like simple. It's it's good to to mm-hmm. get another kind a uh, point of view. Beautiful, mm-hmm.
1: beautiful. Just pass the mic. We'll just pass it along the row here, and you know you can hold it and the, or, and, and not speak, or you can hold it and speak.
4: Well, it's just nice to bring out Mm. whatever is in thought or even formulate it. Sometimes, uh, for me to get my thoughts out, I can't immediately, even with meditation. It just seems like sometimes it's too deep to get language to come back right away. So, it's nice to have that, but then it's also nice to. Um, Hear some differences and things and people's perceptions, uh, because you never know. In the state now you're in, the next day you could say, "Aha!" Someone said that idea. It's like now I see where they're coming from. You know that when you were in your own thoughts in your own place, you didn't consider. So, thank you. Uh, I'm always surprised when when people don't say exactly what I've been thinking. <laughs> um, and so, as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time surprised, but yet yeah, you, 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 tend to hear things that, that make a lot of sense that you didn't even think of. It was mentioned that, um, for the second question, when you think about, uh, uh, you know, s- taking 25 or 50% of all that time and effort you spend on focusing on your desire instead trying to cultivate something wholesome, that, that could be initially very uncomfortable, as so you would you know you have to modify things that you're used to and and you know maybe forsake some of the the pleasure you get from chasing your desires and to me that that made a lot of sense, and it wasn't something I even thought about because I just thought you know if I could do that, it would just happen right away, and I would get the improvement you know um, so so i I tend to just think in binary. Mm-hmm. and I don't think about the steps along the way mm-hmm. so it's important to be reminded of that
2: mm-hmm. Nice, great, thank you I, I, when you talked about the self-compassion I actually took a self-compassion class that was based on that book it's amazing how I, just a few years ago but kind of this reminded me of that because as my partners were talking I'm thinking, you're just being so hard on yourself oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and it just kind of <laughs> made me remember like when people how much harder we are on ourselves than kind of what maybe we need to be you know which yeah. reminded me that maybe i'm being kind of hard on myself so i thought that was a, a very good it's much easier to have compassion for other people than for yourself um yeah mm, thank you I think
1: think you just turned it off, maybe. Green light. There you go.
2: go. Yeah, I'm I'm Weston. And uh, I kind of had a similar thought while people were speaking. I was thinking of all the advice I had for them, having the outside perspective on their situation. And while I was sharing, I was thinking, this sounds so silly. I'm just like stuck in this loop. And they probably think this loop is like so simple to fix or whatever. Um but yeah, I just think uh it's good getting it out, yeah.
0: It's it's uh this self criticism. Always keep an eye out for this. It's so easy to slip into it, uh and have it like it's can be so familiar and we may have this belief that, oh yeah, we have to be critical to ourselves. That's the only way things are gonna change turns out it's not true being kind and respectful for ourselves is a way in which you know we can um, have less fear, a little bit more confidence a little bit more courage and we can try new things do new things and make those changes that we want whereas with self-criticism we feel a little bit locked in because we're afraid to make a mistake because we're going to beat ourselves up for it incessantly afterwards so that's also uh, you know, a, real, a well-worn habit for many, many, many people, myself included. I have spent lots of time in self-criticism. But then when that starts to go away and you start to realize some of the freedom that's not there, when, when it's not there, some of the freedom that is there instead, it can make a big difference. So just keep an eye out for that self-criticism. And maybe you can't make it go away, but maybe you could just do this very gentle inquiry is this really helpful? And then say, no, really. Because <laughs> the first time you'll say, yes, I need to do this. That'll be the answer. And then the second one, is it, is it really helpful to keep beating myself up in this way? Maybe there's, we can, I don't know, just you know, to have this, in, this gentle inquiry. Is this useful? Is this helpful? Is this leading me to more peace, ease, contentment, freedom? So I just wanted to put
1: that in there. Yeah, I just want to share a few um, sort of summary points as we wrap up. You know, in the last five minutes or so. And I just again want to say that there, it is absolutely essential to have desire, right? We need to have desire to get up, do our jo- jobs, do our laundry, eat. All of these things. <laughs> it's absolutely critical. And we need to have quite a bit of desire to be in the workforce, to be productive, right? It's, you know, it's important. Um, But our society also exploits desire, right? Advertising, the way we're advertised to, the way the internet is set up, all of these things are, are set up to trigger this system in yourself over and over again. And then you see things that are kind of Presented in a way also that makes it really shiny and really beautiful and really perfect. And it, it it just triggers more and more of dopamine, this neurochemical that makes you want to go. It's this caffeine thing, you know, and it makes you want to go. And if you aren't mindful, you find yourself relentlessly going and not being still and content. So there's not... Desire itself is not the problem. It's that it, we get over baked in it and we over exercise it and we give into it becomes see want take see want take everywhere with everything and then pretty soon we're see wanting taking life we're not experiencing life you know so so the idea is to try and become more and more aware and choiceful about when we put our energy into this pursuit and when we let go and that for me, a huge, very beautiful practice has been a practice of I call it a practice of contentment. And it, it really is simply about sort of going, "Is it good enough? Good enough. Right? There's so many things that I can see or work on or want. I can look at my house, I can look at my dinner, I can say, it could --Oh, just this, if it was just this much more." And oh, that would be perfect. Uh, what I have is good enough full enough, good enough done enough, just content be okay, and this is a practice that for me has actually brought a lot of ease, it's really kind of a um, gift, you know, Um, to kind of feel like, no, it's good enough, it's okay, it's really good enough And I think working with the inner critic is an important component. It's sort of these two need to come together, right? Because, um, you know, we have to be good enough. You know, we have to feel like we're good enough and that we deserve to feel at ease and be at ease, right? So... um, And in meditation... um, when we've been giving in and in and in to desire, it's very easy to just sort of start to agree with our mind that starts to say, Well, if I do this and then I do that, you know, it's like we sort of just get swallowed into that energy in a meditation. And, or we have a pleasant experience and then we get all, we want more of that pleasant experience. And this desire starts to kind of. Um, kind of cloud the mind or cloud or block our experience to actually have true joy freedom and ease so practicing in your daily life will help you when you come to the cushion you know to kind of get get more connected to this sense of just being just being so we have one more class next week Diana will be here teaching by herself. I'll be on retreat. So I'm sorry to miss you if you're back. And we'll be um, covering the hindrance of aversion or ill will. And, the um, not wanting. The not wanting, the opposite energy of the wanting. Yeah. And, you know, on your sheet, there's a couple of homework suggestions. If you want to practice with desire over this week, so they're simple, you know. I don't. I'm not going to say them right now, but it's really simple and nice, nice practices that you can play with this week and um, bring your experience, your observations, and share them here. Or I'll listen to the recording when I come back from retreat, so I'll hear you too. So we want to thank you very much, Diana and I both, for your coming here and your sincerity and your openness and really a delight and i hope this is a benefit for you guys and i hope you share the benefit with others as you go into your night and have you a beautiful rest tonight so thank you thank you